welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. It's a little episode this week. It's been a while since we've had a dub chat, so consider this an update or a dub update or a dub date, as I keep calling it, even though the joke really doesn't work. But it's a little one. We'll get you kind of up to speed if, like us, your focus has been on large Matilda-sized crises. But It'll be good. We will get you up to speed. And then next week, the four of us will be back to take you through all the usual far post goodness. So before we begin, wanted to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Today, you were joined by me, Marissa Lodanik, and Angela Christian Wilkes. Like we said, it's going to be a quick, casual chat just to kind of get you up to speed with what has happened in the last couple of weeks in the A-League women's competition. So there's been a few games that have happened since we last had a proper dub chat. The ladder is really starting to take shape because we are technically 10 rounds into the competition and it's only a 14-round season. So let's work through the ladder suss where everyone's at and what we're kind of expecting from them in this last huge month of action. So Sydney FC are still top of the table. They still are, the by, by and away, the best team in the competition. Angela, I'm like, what else do we need to say about them? We thought maybe, like, the loss of their Matildas would create some sort of little bump for them but it just seems like that hasn't happened at all so tell us a little bit about Sydney's last couple of weeks from what I can see from Maria Rojas in particular it's almost like um the the opportunity to prove what she can do is almost like a statement of intent of being like you you might actually want to keep me in this starting 11 come Remy Seamson and Courtney Vine coming back. And I think Paige Satchel has also done really well. Um, And credit to, I think, Princess Sabini for being sort of that consistent player in the mix who's been sort of able to bring it all together. But obviously, yeah, we've seen some big, I think Rachel Lowe's been um, standout the past couple of rounds as well um, and has sort of wiggled her way into that that starting 11 conversation and really made an impact. I think she scored, did she score last week? She scored. Anyway, but basically Sydney just keep on doing Sydney things. Um, the big, I guess, story this round just passed is that they've, um, they recorded the longest ever clean sheet in the A-League women. So it's eight games. Um, and to Brisbane's credit, I think, think that they tested them for about 20 minutes in that game. There was a really fantastic save from Jada Wyman, who's also the keeper who's been between the six, the sticks, not the six, between the six. I will try again. Between the sticks for all eight of those games. Um, and uh, there was like a Shay Connors shot that forced a really fantastic save from Jada Wyman. So she's proving she's like still got it. She's still got those fantastic Shot stopping abilities that we haven't really seen or needed to see too much from her this season because Sydney are just like, oh, we, we've got a good defense, we've got a good midfield, we've got a good attack, whatever. So 
Basically, moving forward, I think they're just going to... I can't see any real reason why Sydney won't just continue to dominate, especially when we've seen they've got the depth to cover things like Courtney Vine being out, whereas like if you compare it to last season, Courtney Vine being out in the last couple of rounds with injury really did hamper their ability to keep um, dominating, not to the extent that they're dominating this season at least, but um, it was a noticeable impact. So, yeah, they're just doing... Sydney things I sort of feel like at this point the it's their the double is theirs for the taking um and I'm not really sure if again if we're looking to find there I think they've almost certainly got a spot in the finals I don't know maths permutations that sort of thing would they be let me just have a quick look I can't can't see them dropping out of the four because that would require an absolutely monumental bed pooping, which I just don't think Sydney are going to do. Yeah, um, it would require, I think, Newcastle mm. to win all of their seven remaining games, which is 21 listeners, seven times three, um, which would then bump Sydney out if they lost all of their games. So, yeah, it's they're in the finals. We can say that, right? Yes. I, I anyway. reckon even if the math isn't correct, it's one of those things like your working out was wrong, but the answer was still correct. I reckon we're pretty <laughs> safe in in saying that. The thing that really intrigues me with Sydney going forward is just how they do welcome back and reincorporate Remy Simpson and Courtney Vine into the fold because, as you said, Rojas and Satchel have shown that they can do the job. They can do the job just fine, actually. And Rojas in particular has played in a way that dropping her would kind of raise questions and raise eyebrows. Like, no, she's playing really well. What are you going to do? Like, it's a real, I would hate to be Ante Juric at the moment because trying to fit all of these players into this lineup is going to be a difficult situation. We know that he won't, or there will at least be one spot open because Paige Satchel has been called up to the Football Ferns squad for the She Believes Cup. So that opens up one spot for, for Sydney to fill for to them for them to then try and fit all these players in. But, yeah, I'm really interested in how they use everyone when there's only kind of limited spots available. I think it's fair to say that we all kind of had the Sydney City game earmarked, especially after City kind of dismantled victory in the derby and it was kind of obvious that, okay, it's it's Sydney and City this season. It looks, it looks like it's going to beat those two teams. So that's a nice way for us to kind of segue into Melbourne City chat. Their loss to Sydney, obviously for Sydney, it kind of made them look even more untouchable and infallible and sort of perfect, invincible, all that kind of stuff. But what did it actually mean for for City season, Angela? It was an interesting game because they weren't completely out of it. Like the 3-0 loss obviously is pretty substantial, but it was was 2-0 at half time and City came out in the second half and it looked like Rado had done a big yell in the change rooms. I feel like that's his motivational stuff. Um, actually, I know you can tell when he's on the sideline, um, but he did a big yell. It worked. Um, and they came out and they had, they were rejuvenated and they were working really hard and searching for a goal and looked a lot more switched on. I think they got caught 
by surprise in that first half. But it was sort of just like it. I don't, you don't come to me for the the in depth analysis of what went wrong, but like it didn't work out for them. And then City got um, Sydney, sorry, got another goal. City had a goal disallowed, so Checkers goal, and sort of took the wind out of their sails a little bit there. So it's. I don't think it's definitive in that like City can't beat Sydney or if that's a finals matchup, we know what's going to happen necessarily. I think in some circumstances City could beat Sydney, but the possibility it's, it's a slim possibility. I was really looking to this game to actually get a sense of where Sydney are at and it really established them as being, you know, the, the powerhouse of this competition that I don't think anyone's really going to catch. So... Yeah, but for City, I mean, they're still doing good things otherwise. It was 2-1. They won 2-1 this weekend against the Wanderers. The Wanderers' goal was very jammy. I don't think it necessarily... Up until that point, I'd been really impressed with City's defence and they were very composed and they were playing the game that they wanted to play. But, yeah, the the goal from Collister was just a bit jammy and credit to Collister. That's, sometimes that happens, but it does... We'll get to Wanderers later. But, um, yeah, for City, I think they're still comfortable, like comfortably one of the best teams in this league. But the interesting thing, looking at, for example, we, you touched on there, Paige Satchel going away, Hannah Wilkinson going away, what that might mean. They've still got a lot of, um, so Policina, um, she's proven that she can score a goal. Um, and Holly McNamara has really, you could see on the weekend as well, Holly McNamara coming back into the squad just made such a difference and really, I think, just provided so many opportunities for them to move forward and different create like options to create. Actually, I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. Who is their second, like, number nine? Because that's a, that's a question I can't answer because they haven't, you know, when Rado's made his subs and stuff, it hasn't been like an obvious, okay, and now we're going to bring this player on to play up fort. So I think the Wilkinson Wilkinson off on football firm's duty is actually a very interesting thing. And we have to mention as well, Stoddy got called up for the football firms as well, which is just a how good it's her first uh, national team call up. And I think she said about two years. So it's awesome news we are so stoked for her and can't wait to to see her don the black and white once again but yeah how city compensate for their loss because they they've been so important Stoddy, we've realized can basically play anywhere on the pitch and does it well as well which is just like god you're you're good at everything you're good everywhere you play so i don't I'm not too sure how City compensate for their losses, but I do think that they are still comfortably one of the best teams in the league. So I'm not too worried about them all of a sudden like dropping out of finals contention or whatever. I'm just curious as to who they actually plant into the holes created by Wilkinson and and Stott. Um, We have to talk about Bubs. Because she's a freak in the best possible sense of the word. Over the weekend, she celebrated 25 years of professional football, which is con- like just completely insane. 
completely insane. She debuted as, as a 16-year-old for Victoria in the old Ansett Summer Series, the, the women's NSL. Um, yeah, 16 years old for Victoria back in 1997. And she's just never stopped playing football professionally in that time. Like I keep thinking about it in terms of like age. So we're pretty close in age, Angela. We're only fractionally older than Bubs's professional career, which is an insane thing to think I about. I don't love that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Like I was saying to you the other day, Marissa, dear listeners, think on this. The double turn 15 next year, and sometimes we have 15-year-old players playing the dub. You do the maths. I- Oh, math bad. But I, I I did some other math and someone on Twitter just was astounded by it. But, you know, we recently celebrated the 100-year anniversary of women's football in Australia. And if Bubs's professional career is 25 years old, she's been playing football for a quarter of the time that football has existed in Australia, as far as we know. Math and numbers are absolutely cooked. But to bring it back to Bubs and what she's achieved... It's an unbelievable milestone. I think it's incredible. Obviously, we know that she's talented. Like, that's never been a question or an issue. But the fact that she is still playing to such a high level and just her longevity is utterly unbelievable, especially when, you know, the back end of her kind of career has been a lot of... um has been a lot more mentory, assistant coachy kind of roles. And so for her to then be thrust back into the number one position and to just absolutely smash it, like not miss a beat at all, is just absolutely incredible. So it's a huge congrats to her. It's an unbelievable achievement. And the thing is, it doesn't look like, this doesn't look like the swan song of her career either. So we're just celebrating a milestone, but it's by no means the kind of end of her career. So an unbelievable achievement by Bubs. Shall we move on to Adelaide? I reckon we shall. Yes. They're sitting in third. I've been calling it for two weeks now. They're playing finals. I, I'm sorry to any, any Reds fans who are like, you, why would you jinx us like this? I, I think you're above the jinx. I think you're in. I think you're playing finals. I think it's happening. You know, start playing the song. Finally, it is happening to me right in front of my face and I just can't describe it. But talk to me about Adelaide. What, why, what's been working for them so far this season and what are we kind of or over these last couple of weeks? Because I think you you mentioned it before we hit record. It's been a clarifying couple of weeks in the dub for a lot of teams, and I think that definitely applies to Adelaide. Yeah, they've just they've just been consistent. The stat that was circulating um, post-game this weekend, so when they beat Jets 3-0, was that this is the first time since 2018 that they've held three consecutive clean sheets. Um, and I went back and I wanted to see if they've ever had more than that as well. And it turns out that in 2018, that was the only other time that they've had three consecutive consecutive clean sheets. And I was actually, to look at their trajectory from where they started in the A-League women, it's really pleasing to see this. And I think it's a really important stat as well. In terms of like, they're, fi- they're just consistent. And I think they've had that issue a few seasons where they've sort of, 
there's been, I think it was the 15, 16 season in particular, there was that very bizarre 10 to two loss. No, they won. They beat Western Sydney 10 goals to two in like the second last round. And that was sort of a very exaggerated example of what normally happens with Adelaide is they really pick up speed towards the end of the season. And as we saw last season, it was like that conversation around finals was only sort of confirmed by victory winning the game. It wasn't in their hands. Um, And so I think they're definitely one of the clubs where it's just like, extend the season a great example of what we could see what kind of football and narratives we could see if the season was extended for a club like Adelaide but in saying all that it feels like they've finally you know firmed everything up a lot earlier and they've gotten those three clean sheets they've gotten those three wins they're looking there's they're playing the kind of football that we typically expect from them, but I think it's just looking a lot more confident, a lot more comfortable. They're looking to play like this weekend. We saw some great possession-based football, looking to hold onto the ball, recycle it when needed, and then just wait for those moments where you have someone like a Fiona Wirtz who can make like a very dangerous run um, on the end of like a good through ball or whatever it might be because they've got, yeah, it's interesting. They've got the zoomies at Adelaide, but they utilise them in a slightly different way to say what you would expect from a Melbourne city. Um, but, yeah, so just basically consistency. That's the great thing about this Adelaide side. And so if they can just carry that, I don't see them dropping out. It's not as, yeah, a nail-biting sort of will they, won't they um, question like it has in the past, for me anyway. Personally, I really hope they get to finals. I will be furious. Absolutely, I will be seeing red, as it were, if they don't make finals. Oh, <sighs> yeah. Anyway, but, but you're you're right. I think they're playing attractive football. They're playing multi-dimensional football, like you said. So they have the ability to do the passing, patient build-up play. But then, if you know one of the Hodgsons is down the wing, they will go to that option. Paige Hayward has been fabulous kind of out wide. Chelsea Dorber is doing it. She is doing it this season and it's awesome and I think we've we've flagged it throughout the kind of season. If she could be consistent and kind of translate the form she's always shown at NPL level into the dub level, then she was going to be a fantastic player and I think we've absolutely seen that from her this season every time she kind of gets the ball around the edge of the box I'm just like she's gonna go for the low strike into the opposite corner and it's gonna come off it's similar to like when you know when Courtney Vine starts running down the right you're like she's going to cut in beat the defender and then put it at the far post you know I you you fully expect it from Dorber now so I think the fact that she's being consistent she's really kind of emblematic of the wider consistency of the Reds as a whole. I think Dylan Holmes has really helped their midfield. I think her inclusion has been really important and Kayla Sharples as well. Matilda McNamara needed someone next to her that just had that little bit more experience. She's, I don't think she's ready to kind of be the leader in that back line. I think she still needs someone to kind of feed off and be in partnership with. Last season it was Marushka Waldus in the kind of back half of the season and this time around it's Kayla Sharples and I think that's just made everything click and work. I think Annie Grove in goal has really 
um, overcome the kind of shaky moments that we saw in the opening rounds where she had just the absolute shocker against victory in that opening round. She's been pulling out great saves. So I just, I like everything that I see at Adelaide and I just, I don't see a scenario where they're not in finals. If they, if everything turns to poo, I'm really sorry, but I I don't, I really honestly don't think it's going to happen. I think it is their time. It's finally their, their time. Let's talk about the Vark victory. It's been really weird to assess victory this season because we all went in with fair expectations of them. I think the, the lofty heights weren't an unfair expectation on them based on last season and based on the squad they had at the start of the season. But between the Morrison injury, between losing Matildas and now with the COVID outbreak, which saw them not play for 20 days, it's like, what actually is this team? How are they playing? What are they doing? It's really, really hard to kind of judge them, or at least I find it really hard to to judge them because it's just been the weirdest sort of dribs and drabs season for them so far. And as we know, it's only going to get weirder as they're going to play half a season in a month, which is a very cool, very normal thing to do for semi-professional athletes. But I, yeah, I'm not sure how to read victory at the moment. Do you have any sort of clarity as to what they are and where they're at? Yeah, I They've really been hampered by the COVID thing. I mean, everyone has, right? But um, I think only now they've sort of figured out the defensive situation that they need to be running with. And granted, it was like Hopkins was having to figure that out but then be interrupted and deal with other like things like Chidiak not being able to play, for example. So then you're thinking about your midfield and then it's just, it, it's been a situation. Um, I am impressed. I think it's good that they are doing well fielding the kids because I think they're, they do have like, I say the kids, but like they do have so many players in their squad who are still really young, who are just like, have been there forever. So for example, someone like, MJ Barbieri, but um, Maya Markovsky has had to step up. Um, who is playing before Maya? Who's in, is Catherine Zimmerman injured? Am I late to this? I I have so many questions. When will Molina Ayers return from the war? Where is Harriet <laughs> Withers? What's happening with Zim? Like, I don't know what's going on, but you're right. Markovsky absolutely has stepped up, I think. Zim's back because she posted on her Instagram that she made a joke. She's like, it's been 84 years, but it's finally game day again. But seriously, where are Melina Ayres and Harriet Withers? These are my questions. But then the more concern is like if you have Withers, Zimmerman, Ayres all back in form, do you then just displace the chemistry that they've finally been able to sort of get together with this group of younger players they did so they won 2-0 over Wellington um and that was with so they had Iamano, Alana Murphy who's good it's good scored her debut goal which was real cute 
Um, and then they're the main, and then Markovsky again. Um, so three names who have had to step up. But then, yeah, I guess, yeah, my main question is like, do you just then throw in the returning players who are very good and then risk not having any consistency? I'm not, I'm not sure. And also it's worth noting that Kara Cooney-Cross and Courtney Nevin, I would expect will be back at some point. So I guess in them having that compressed um, like seven games in a month, that will be really beneficial. And in saying that, I guess as well, now that I've said that out loud, I feel a little bit more comfortable because they do have um, people, it looks like the the depth in the squad has had, like been built up out of necessity because of all these dilemmas that they've had, but that's going to be something that's really important for them. Moving into this hectic end of the season, if they hadn't have had players like an Alana Murphy needing to play significant chunks of minutes, what would that situation look like if you then were trying to play like the same starting 11 without knowing that you had the depth on the bench because you hadn't tested them yet? I don't know. So actually, no, now that I say that, I've, I've calmed myself down. I've calmed myself down. They're not a surefire thing. I don't feel very confident that victory will make finals, to be honest, especially when you look at someone like a Perth who I feel have just been able to click a little bit more because they've had the opportunity to do so. They've had a bit more consistency and Perth also got the short end of the, the compressed season stick a little bit earlier, I believe. Whereas yeah, other teams are getting it at the end of the season. So yeah, I'd also, as you said, pre-pod Marissa, Claudia Bunge leaving. What does that mean? They have signed a new defender, but again, that's a new face that you just I anticipate if Bunge leaves thrown in the deep end and be like, off you go, love. You're up to play a full 90. What is the name of the new defender? I'm very sorry that I can't remember. Brooke Hendricks. Brooke Hendricks, yes. So she played a few minutes on the weekend. Um, but presumably she will be playing many, many more minutes if with Bunge leaving. So yeah. The fact that we don't know is a bad thing, I think, when you look at, as we just said about Adelaide, consistency, mm. they're coming together. We know what style of football they're playing. We know what their option. Yeah. And... It made me laugh that it was like Victory have finally signed an injury replacement for Kayla Morrison. So it was like excellent. Two recognised centre backs in the heart of defence. Amy Jackson gets to be pushed forward. Amazing. And then literally Claudia Bunge gets called up for football fans. So you're back to, to square one, basically. So there, it, it's a, a bit of a, if you don't laugh, you'll cry for, for victory fans. That was a very loud sneeze. Um, but, yeah, I think for me how victory play in this in this next month is almost secondary to just how they manage the squad and the workloads of these players. And I think you make a really awesome point with the kids and knowing that they are now a little bit battle-hardened so they can, if need be, play a full 90 and it's not, oh, my God, this baby is being thrown in the deep end. It's like, no, you know, she's still got limited games under her belt but this isn't her first time at the rodeo she knows what's kind of going on so I really think that victory 
it's going to be Victory and Canberra who have the kind of shonkiest um, Februaries in terms of just sheer volume of games. How they manage their squad is going to be what determines how they get through this rather than actual football, which I think is a really interesting and unfortunate thing. If you would like to listen and have a, a bit of a, a gander at um, the concepts of underload and overload, which is what we are seeing right now, the pod. We had a chat with Sarah Gregorius from FIFA Pro about a report that they released into that very topic. So I would definitely recommend going and listening to that chat. The episode call is called The Loaddown with Sarah Gregorius. So check that out if that conversation tickles your fancy. Let's talk about Perth. Perth is, like you said, they kind of had the weird schedule up front. We also have to acknowledge that they have relocated from Perth because of things, stuff, borders, etc. So they have sacrificed a lot to keep this competition moving and going. I think there's still like a small, tiny little piece of hope that they will get to play a home game, maybe. I don't know, though, me being a pessimist, I'm like, I don't like your chances, friends. But I think they are very much in that conversation for finals. My thing with them is that Victory has two games in hand on them and Victory are currently above them on the table. So if Victory can bank up some points in this insane period for them, they could kind of blow Perth out of the water. But Perth has been, they've been really impressive, but they've also been a little bit confusing for mine. I'm not really sure how to, again, similar with victory, I'm not sure how to kind of read them. I'm not sure how to kind of assess them. I think Sierra Hinson has really popped up in these last couple of weeks to be an awesome goal-scoring threat, especially since Gemma Crane has gone and injured herself once again, unfortunately. She's just had a real torrid run with injury so we hope that she is doing well and recovering quickly and smoothly but yeah Perth I'm just I'm really not sure how to how to read them and how to assess where they're at other than they're obviously doing a hell of a lot better than last season that's my kind of only real concrete take do you have more concrete takes I never have concrete takes. Um, I think with Perth, in, it was nice to see them in the top four, to be honest, because they were in there for about two minutes. Um, but I, it wasn't necessarily something I expected of them this season because it definitely when you look at the big picture of the project that Alex Parkas is doing at Perth, it's obviously long-term. And so when you compare that to maybe something like a Melbourne victory, for example, they had to wait a few seasons before they really built into being a side where you're like, okay, these are, a, they're, they're a threat. They're a middle table threat and a potential finals finalist. you know, like those, those teams that are bringing consistency season in season out. Um, so yeah, for Perth to be able to, their ascent has been quite steep and it's, I've been pleasantly surprised, but um, I do wonder if they have the, yeah, if, the, if they're able to 
see it out because if you look at the remainder of their games as well, there's four games, like one game against Wellington at the end of the season and then the other four games against all of the top four, the current top four. So that's a really, really big challenge and they just drew three all. Like they had a 3-1 lead over Canberra and then they lost the 3-1 lead. So it's that sort of, I, yeah, it's, I kind of feel uh, the way I feel about Perth is the opposite. I feel about Brisbane, which we'll get to, but like, yeah, they, they might not be there just yet, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just think it's a really, really big challenge that they're coming up against. Um, and I'm not seeing, yeah, necessarily the holistic, you know, complete game performances there to be able to see it out. Especially if you're looking at, for example, a Sydney, which will score heaps of goals, probably very early coming, having the resilience and having the like bench depth as well to be able to come back against that. But just, just not there for me at the moment. But I'm I'm enjoying them. I'm enjoying watching both a lot more this season. I think everyone is. Last season it was a bit like, please stop. He's already dead. But <laughs> yeah. You covered it nicely, Marissa. I probably didn't need to add anything there. No, because I feel like all I said was dunno. Not sure. Speaking of teams, dunno, not sure. We're entering now the kind of mid to lower half of the table. So the likes of Newey, the likes of Brisbane, the likes of Western Sydney and of Canberra. Canberra deserves its own conversation because they have been absolute chaos merchants of late. But for the likes of Newcastle, the likes of Brisbane, I keep going back to your point about how these last couple of weeks have been really clarifying in terms of where teams are at and what they can kind of do. And for me, it's Newcastle aren't there wherever there is. And Brisbane could not, like, just cannot, it's it's so frustrating to watch because they create all these chances. Shay Connors, like you mentioned it with Sydney, is so lively, is so good at getting into good positions. She also provides, you know, through balls for, like, the runs of Larissa Crummer. She works well with Marielle Hecker and yet just cannot buy a goal to save her life. And so I just... Brisbane are are less there wherever there is than Newcastle, but neither of them are where they want to be. And for me, Brisbane are the more confusing of the two because it just, not not to, you know, to start borrowing some kind of Matildas and Tony Gustafson terminology, but like the performances seem to be kind of there. The chances seem to be there, but the results are just not and I do not, I haven't, I don't know how to diagnose them. I don't know how to kind of determine why they seem to be playing in such a way that suggests they should be getting more results than they actually are. So if you have any theories to explain Nui or the Raw, please, the floor is yours. Yeah, Nui complete. I don't know what's going on there, to be honest. like. Maybe is it 
the loss of Emily Van Egmond? Surely not. Sure, but like it sort of lines it, up. The it plays a up. role, but surely it can't be the only thing. Because like we know that Marie Dolvik is very, very good and should be used. the The game against Canberra, where she was then subbed off, that was kind of the beginning of the chaos period. She comes off, and then all of a sudden it's three three, like six minutes later or whatever it, it was. So. I think Van Eggs is a, a part of the conversation but shouldn't be the sole answer. Yeah. And, like, they've been able to move Elizabeth Eddy into, a, like, a position that she's a bit more comfortable in. I just, I, I, I always almost laugh when I think about when she was playing, like, I think she was playing right back earlier in the season and she just gave the vibe that not for her. <laughs> Because she was so chaotic as a right back. She, she, and so now she's sort of been in a role where she has the freedom to do all the things that she can do well. And then you've got a Cass Davis who um, I think is a very gritty defensive midfielder um, but isn't necessarily the sort of playmaker that you might see in just pulling in, like a Taylor Ray or a Teresa Polias, but it's still an important job that she plays in the team. So I'm wondering, I don't, it's, it's like, it's all the, all the components are there. It's just, and I think maybe Tara Andrews having to play limited minutes could potentially be another thing. There's a few different, like I, there's a few different things that you could point to as being the, the root of the problem, but overall it's just confusing because it's not, whereas like with Brisbane Raw, I'm just annoyed. I'm like, you should be doing so much better than what you're doing because you've pl- like they show that they can play good football week in, week out. It's not that consistency is an in- issue. It's just they're farting in front of God. What is going on? I just, I don't, I thought that they would be over this by now. You know, my, my, the sort of looking at Brisbane Royal season, it was sort of like when they came in, I was like, oh, they won't be very good. And then they turned out that they could actually be quite good. And now they're just like, have, I don't, yeah, it's, it's also confusing, confusing in slightly different ways, I think. Um, But yeah, Jets, if I was going to pick one out of the two to like potentially, you know, bump a Perth um, out of the way, I'd probably say Brisbane but I don't think that they're going to have the the ability to get into the top four. They'd have to have like a stunning end of the season and I just don't see that on the cards. If they haven't gotten it by now, then I don't think they're going to get it for the remainder. It's real. We're we're at the point of the season, the girls that get it, get it, and the girls that don't. Yeah. Don't. But then... In saying that, as earlier I was talking about Adelaide United, you used to be the, the contradiction to that rule. They mm. just would come out of nowhere and have a great end of the season. But then I think the dynamic was slightly different in that case. Mm. They usually playing worse football. <laughs> anyway, sorry, sorry, Adelaide United, love you, love you. Um, so that and now I realize yeah. my own maths doesn't add up because I'm like victory aren't going to make the finals, but neither are Perth and neither are Brisbane. So only three teams going to the finals. We're having a top three, top four, but not like just looking at the ladder. I think, yeah, like I said, I know victory and Mui, who are in fourth and sixth respectively, have two games in hand on Perth. 
but Perth are on 15 points, Newcastle are on nine. So I just, I don't know if there's enough time and enough games for them to get back into the conversation. I don't know. Mm. I'm not, I'm not confident. I'm not sure. A team that I think we can very comfortably rule out as simply not doing anything are the Wanderers. The Wanderers are currently in eighth. They have managed to score their first goal from open play since December 17th. Our chats about them have all basically centred on their doing well defensively but just have absolutely nothing doing up forward. The last couple of rounds, unfortunately, they've kind of lost that defensive structure as well, barring Sarah Langman continuing to be really, really solid between the sticks for them. I think she's been absolutely phenomenal. In my mind, she is absolutely in the conversation for goalkeeper of the year and wouldn't surprise me if she wins like Wanderers player of the year as well. I think that's how good she's been. But the Wanderers are just, yeah, they they had the defensive thing kind of sorted or at least they were, you know, they were the second stingiest defence in the league behind Sydney for a good while, but the last couple of weeks have really let that slide. You know, they copped three against Adelaide, which was a, a really good performance from the Reds, but they just, they've seemingly lost the one thing that was going right for them this season and then in terms of what they're doing up forward I had a a quick look I don't think they've put out the same lineup once this season there's always been at least one or two changes and the the way I thought about it was I don't know if anyone oh you probably have the video the the history of the entire world in 20 minutes when the guy I'll, I'll send you the video later. But basically the guy is trying to pronounce the name of, I think, an old Indian ruler or something. And he keeps stuffing it up because it's like four distinct parts, but he just keeps getting them in the wrong order. It's a bit like a Wordle. The Wanderers are a bit like Wordle and they keep getting yellow letters and they haven't figured out the word yet. And that's why they keep changing things. And I think the fact that they still haven't necessarily figured that out, whether that's been because of form, injury, COVID, tactical kind of considerations, I just I don't think they've figured out their their wordle yet. And unfortunately, if they do figure it out, it's going to be a very similar situation to last season where, you know, they got a couple of really good wins in the back end of last season. We saw, you know, Briley Henry scored, I think, a double. Rosie Galea scored a double. These players popped up and we were like, oh, can't wait to see them next season. But then next season's come and they haven't even produced what they did in the back end of last season, let alone kick on to actually be consistent performers. So I'm just, I'm really not sure with the Wanderers what exactly it is that they're trying to do and I don't really have an explanation as to why they 
have now kind of lost the one thing that was going really well for them in terms of their defence. I understand why they weren't scoring because they seem a bit um, one-dimensional. I don't really follow a lot of um, the kind of tactical decisions. Like I, I rate Tegan Collister quite highly. I think she was really good last season in terms of her running down the wing. We know that she got that jammy goal which was their first from open play since December. So I don't know why maybe she hasn't been included more or if there are other considerations that we need to be taking into account. Sheridan Gallagher has got a lot of game time, but not a lot of goals to show. I don't, I'm just not sure what's doing at Western Sydney, basically. Yeah, I just, because their midfield, it was really frustrating the game against City. They just couldn't hold on to the ball. It was just a little bit irritating to watch this irritating football. I feel like they'd be so much more potent if they just focused on getting like a really good midfield core going with like Olivia Copas-Brown, Galia, and then they brought in like Bianca Galich from Canberra and I feel like I couldn't tell you anything she's done this season. I just... And Malia Steinmetz, like Malia Steinmetz is a great midfielder, but I feel like she's not being utilised to the best of her abilities. I think, yeah, I don't know. If I was looking at this Western Sydney Wanderers side on paper and then being like, what would your game plan be? I'd be like, possession-based football through the centre of the park and then you play it out to like a Collister or a Gallagher who's got some zooms on her. Gallagher's role seems to be commit violence for the most part. I don't know if that's wrong to say, but... She She's is very, the enforcer if we're talking ice enforcer. hockey. Yeah. But um, and also, for example, like a Briley Henry, she's just not there yet to take up the kind of space that a Hannah Wilkinson would, for example, in a very similar setup in being able to just ping him home. And I, I'm sure that I'm not even sure if that's the intention of what she's meant to be doing because they have been playing to up front for the most part. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange one. It's a strange one. Um, I, I did expect more from this Wanderers side. Um, and yeah, it was, again, it's that sort of thing. If the girls who've got it, have got it. What is it? The girls who have it, have it. The girls who get it, get it. The girls who don't, don't. Yeah. It's just like, if they, they've had, if they haven't unlocked the the keys to the attacking kingdom, they're not going to be able to do it moving forward. I don't think there's, because like you said, Marissa, there's just been a lack of consistency as well. And, um, trying to figure out the wordle and it's not getting there anyway i'm sorry for using wordle as the example but my brain functions now in tiny squares so it, it is what it is speaking of the color green canberra what if an awful segue forgive me canberra Canberra, we would, I feel like we would be having the same conversation as we did about the Wanderers if they had not been absolute chaos merchants the last two weeks. Like pulling out the 3-3 draw against Newcastle, chaotic, unexpected, we, to then back it up with another 3-3 draw against Perth. And I also want to say that in terms of Perth and Newcastle seasons, I think that those draws have been costly very much to points dropped in terms of then where we kind of assess them and their finals chances but yeah chaos 
Chaos United, Canberra United, Canberra Chaos, whatever you want to call them. It's it's like congratulations on, you know, finally figuring out how to find the back of the net. I think Ash Sykes is a, a big part of that. She has been absolutely sensational this second half of the season where she's been more uh, heavily involved and more used. But they're also leaking goals like nobody's business. So can you explain the chaos merchants? No, no, I got like. I can I like I said can I explain anything no you come to this pod for more questions rather than answers potentially I do think it's like their defense obviously they've got a defense where they're not there's no consistency there's been no backup from last season really apart from Emma Ilioski um who is a wing back but the central defensive pairings has seemed to be a constant dilemma for the side and they I think it looks like Vicky Linton has just made the decision to run with putting Michaela Vidmar in there and Ali Haran which is I think good in the sense that but at the same time Michaela Vidmar does not have a lot of big experience she sort of reminds me this is a real vintage dub reference Alex Natoli at Victory that's in a long 20... time ago friend 15, 16, just sometimes doing things that I'm like a little bit more experience. If you make this mistake a few more times, you might as well do it again. I feel like she copped two of the same mistake on the weekend where she had her back to the ball because I don't think she knew where it was and it's like bounced off her into the path of a Perth player and I feel like that happened twice on the weekend. So I just, it was big. Oh no! You've it, it's happened again. It's happened again for her. Also, just like I'll let you continue in a second, but I think we've really maybe underestimated or undersold the loss of not only Jess Nash, who now seems to be just riding the bench for Sydney, where she was playing every week for Canberra, and Kendall Fletcher, who was so important to Canberra last season, was able to fill a hole in defence, was able to play in the midfield. So I think their combined absence from this Canberra side has been particularly telling, but please continue. Michaela Vidmar, like she is at the start of her journey, so she's not going to be able to hold this entire Canberra team together and nor should she be expected to. Again, I do have some sort of questions as to what the defensive plan this entire season for Vicky Linton was going to be when you look at where it is now. Um, additionally, no, I think that's all my takes. I was just going to say at the moment, Canberra just seemed like this sort of like gremlin. They're like, <laughs> we're just going to ruin the party for other people. Like, so I'm looking at victories two games against them and I'm like, do not take anything for granted because the, like you said, they're, they're agents of chaos. They are, will they are able to put a spoke in the bike wheel for other teams. They're not necessarily going to do much for themselves, I don't think. But I think, yeah, they're a threat in the sense that they will be able to steal points, as they've shown. Three, three all draws. I just, how? How? Anyway. Um, yeah, anyway, I've sort of just, more. I've already mourned my feelings about Canberra for this season. And now I'm just sort of like, let's see what, Let's, like, bring the drama. Mm. That's my expectations for them the rest of the season. 
I'm just just keep it interesting. I I labeled them basically the kind of they present now the banana skin fixture within That's great. the the league for in my um my weekly column for the raw that looks at the talking points for the the past dub season. There's a little plug for you friends. But yeah, for me they really represent at the start of the season, they probably represented not not an easy three points, but a more gettable three points where now it's like, I don't know what we're walking into once we enter Canberra or a game in which we will be playing Canberra, but I've prepared for everything. It's the real pack your entire undies draw for the one night trip. You know what I mean? You've got to be prepared for everything. Um, for shitting yourself. <laughs> At least five times. <laughs> you never know what could happen. It, you Can you tell we have anxiety? We don't have anxiety. <laughs> Last but not least, they sit at the bottom of the ladder, but the top of my heart, the Wellington Phoenix. They haven't won yet. I still hold out hope that they will win a game, not only for them, but for my preseason prediction that they would indeed win a game. They've come close the last couple of weeks. The two, three, two results where they had leads, they were in positions where they looked like it was very, very possible to get a win and then unfortunately just collapsing under the pressure of sustained attack from Brisbane and from Perth. The really pleasing thing about the Knicks is that their development and progression has been so obvious this season Whereas the first couple of rounds, you know, they were obviously sitting back and defending for dear life. And every time the ball kind of would trickle into their offensive half, there was no one home. You could see that they had not prepared for this situation. But the last few rounds, all of a sudden, we're seeing build-up play through the middle and passing combinations. And you can you can so clearly see where they've started to where they are now and that it is, you know, an upward trajectory. So the assumption is that they just keep kind of following that. I, Like I said, I really hope that they get that win. I think they've got a game against Canberra soon, which could could be another 3-3 draw. Like, let's be real. <laughs> we, we now know that, you know, Wellington can score goals. Obviously, Canberra can score goals. So I think that is going to be chaotic and the Knicks' best chance at a win. Um, But it hasn't, even though we've seen that progression and that's been an obvious positive, they certainly haven't had it all their own way. There's been lots of other bits and pieces that have kind of just made what has been a difficult season that little bit harder and the thing that kind of comes to mind immediately right now is their keeper situation so as we've kind of referenced throughout this pod the the football ferns are playing in the sheep leaves cup uh, a little later this month and six i think it was six players from the dub have been called up to the football ferns squad alfeld is the pretty sure the lone wellington phoenix player that has been called up but her call up great for her, exposes a little bit of a um, weak spot within the Knicks setup. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that and just your general takes on, on the Knicks? 
Yeah. Oh my God. I love the Knicks. I love them. I think I'm a Knicks fan. Bye, Canberra. You're not my second team anymore. I live in Phoenix. I'm my second team. Like the culture around the team just seems to be so great. And the post-game interview with Grace Jolly after that loss to Perth, like just literally, it broke my heart. I just, I was like, someone give that girl a hug. I hope, but they, they seem like they've got the environment where they can sort of build back from that and develop resilience and yeah I've just been so impressed and they play such exciting football so yeah um they're definitely and each round that comes up I'm always like I want to watch the Wellington game that's like one of my first picks um I watch all of them for anyone listening I watch all of them um my editors I do watch all the games I write about yes yes um what was I going to say Yes, Lily Alford. So Lily Alford's going to Sheba. So they've got Brianna Edwards who will be stepping up. But then they don't have a third keeper and they're not allowed to sign another keeper um, from New Zealand for some reason. And they have a keeper who has been training with them, but because she's under 20, it doesn't count for some reason. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the rule book. But basically it sounds like a very stressful situation in which means that they could potentially end up with just having an outfielder put in on the gloves so that they can list a keeper for games because that's the other thing. They have to list a second keeper that's stipulated by the league. It's not a great situation for them. Um, and, yeah, it feels like a bit of a kick in the guts, I guess. It's it's one of those ones, it's, like not, it's not really anyone's fault, but I'm really hoping that some sort of leniency can be given by the league or some sort of, yeah, exception can be made for them. The Knicks knew what they were signing up for entering the comp and entering the comp in these circumstances. So obviously they knew that they would be based over here, which, you know, we don't get a season if they don't do that. The rules that were placed on their squad that, you know, they were only allowed to sign a certain amount of Kiwi players. They had to have a minimum number of Aussies. There were rules then about um, how many international signings they could have and that that would take from their Kiwi allotment rather than their Australian allotment. So we know that they have signed up and are fully aware of all the constraints that were placed on them in order for them to play in this competition. But, yeah, it just there's still a part of you that's like it's still a crappy situation like it's still just a a little bit of a little bit of something to kind of like you've you've done a lot to keep this season going let's let you you know um elevate this player who has been training with you for you know and it will only be for let's say one to two rounds, the the Sheep Leaves Cup, the February FIFA window doesn't last a super long time. So, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I understand that the the rules are the rules and they've signed up to this and they've known all along what the kind of constraints and considerations are for them. But just once we're in the thick of it, there's still, I feel like there needs to be a little bit of, um, flexibility and and movement allowed to kind of allow for the 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 spanners that this this situation and COVID and 
all of it kind of continue to throw at us. Um, did we want to talk a little bit about Grace Wisniewski? Yeah, I think that's what I was saying earlier about the culture on around the team. I think that was sort of emblematic in the fact that Grace Wisniewski did not play their most recent game against Victory. So she put her hand up to be like, not feeling my best in the old dog. I just didn't say it in these words, but um, basically decided to opt out for mental health reasons, but the squad were very supportive of that. And, um, yeah, Gemma Lewis and the club allowed for that to happen, which I think is it's a good thing. Double thumbs up. I don't know. Do I need to explain why it's a good thing that we let people with mental health concerns and mental illness I think it's, it's open and vulnerable with that and to be heard. Having the chat because I do think we're still very much in a situation where people take physical health uh, complaints and issues more seriously than they do mental health ones. So if someone who works in a situation where, you know, if she had come out and said, I've sprained my ankle, I've got a cork or whatever, no one would bat an eyelid. But she's, and she made the point of this, Gemma Lewis in in the press conference, you know, made the point of saying that Grace did not want to kind of like, oh, she's just been omitted or she's just, you know, a little knock, a little niggle, whatever it was. She wanted it to be explicitly said, no, I'm taking a step back for mental health reasons. I think it's important to explain why that level of honesty and, I suppose acceptance from well, acceptance from what I've seen from the the wider football community is a good thing. So please do explain. Oh well, you just explained it. The comparison would if you have bad knees or whatever. Some some people have bad knees. Some people have noggins that don't always behave, and that can impact on your ability to to work and to be able to do the things that you want to do. And I think it's a really um, admirable thing for. Grace Wisniewski to say this is the reason why I'm doing it because this happens at I'm just like when I was looking at the situation I was reflecting on um a similar sort of thing I guess in like community football um obviously the stakes are not as high it's not your profession but being able to be in an environment where you can say to your coach I have this thing going on or you might it might not be an ongoing thing you might just be having stuff in your life that's making it really difficult for you to be present at that point in time to have the supportive environment around you where you can be honest about that is really really important Um, I think also the honesty being able to be transparent about it as well is really really important otherwise you just feel like you're being a flake or like you (laughs) you feel like you're letting people down and if they don't have the full understanding of the situation um, it can just sort of compound the anxieties or the the discomfort someone might feel already around being like, I can't do this right now, or feel like they're forced to play when they're not able to play to the best of their abilities because of things like their mental health at that current point in time. So yeah, it's a really, really positive thing. And like, uh, I didn't really explain it very well, but tapping into this, uh, like the idea that athletes just have, just have to be built differently and they have to have, be able to be extra resilient and 
withstand all the stresses and press pressures and just put that aside and put it all out on the pitch. I think breaking down that myth is really, really important because so many people have, um, what's the opposite of benefit, Marissa? <laughs> Being impact, negatively impacted? That works, that works. Yeah, negatively impacted by those ideals and we're not even talking about situations where you throw masculinity into it, which is a whole other thing. We're not talking about that right now, obviously, but like you, you, every, I think in a lot of situations, everyone loses because some, if you don't have that support around you, it can sometimes drive people out of the game. Um, and also for young athletes as well, there's another confounding factor in all these, these are young athletes um, and you're setting up their foundations for, their career and how they're going to um, move forward and be able to reckon with these things. So there's a lot of different things at play. I hope I've covered it somewhat there. Yeah, no, you have, and it absolutely, (laughs) it absolutely is a good thing. Um, Do we want to talk about other stuff? Because I have no idea how long this has gone on for, but I feel like it's gone off (laughs) Oh, one, I think we should touch on mm-hmm. the Marconi sinkhole. Because I just, I learned what a sinkhole ago, is. my friend. <laughs> I know, but how strange. That was, do I need to, there was a sinkhole. That's the story. There was a sinkhole on the pitch at Marconi Stadium before the Wanderers. Adelaide. Wanderers Adelaide. Yeah. There was a sinkhole. That's not good. I just, don't want that. It was just real awkward. It was, you know, people love to talk about oh, peak A League, peak A League. So it's like, of course, there was a sinkhole, but it's it's not peak A League because we can't peak because this stuff just happens all the time. I think there, there's the element of why wasn't it discovered sooner. But also at the end of the day, it seems to have been, it was patched up well, you know, they didn't make them play on a surface that included a sinkhole, which is like real, you know, low bar, but at least we exceeded that low bar and stuff. And um, I, I can't imagine Marconi will be getting a, uh, a game again anytime soon. I think the Wanderers will be back to their their HQ, where, where, which seems like a lovely little ground. They've got the nice little grandstand. It seems like a great atmosphere, a nice pitch. So, yeah, but just there's, there's been so much going on that the, the sinkhole really kind of happened and then it was just like, oh, that, that was a thing that happened actually quite recently. Wow. <laughs> and that's, that's all I got. I think, but it's also, I'm just thinking of a similar situation that happened a couple of years back where the sprinklers came on um, at Faulkner in like the last minutes of a city game and they were not meant to come on. And the ref basically just like called off those last few minutes. Like they just, they didn't wait for the sprinklers to turn off and then play them. They were just like, whatever, wrap it. And so I think it's nice that the sinkhole was an as an embarrassing moment as it was it means that we're expecting better now that there's been progress which is good 
And it's like, yes, would we like to progress to the bit where we don't have to worry about the state of the pitch? Yes. But if we're getting there slowly, at least we're still kind of getting there, I guess, is the the point in a weird kind of way. What a time. What a place. What a league. Oh, my days. Anyway, that's that's the dub date. We are now kind of up to speed. As we said, this was not meant to be by any means an exhaustive review of the last couple of weeks. It was just an important touch base considering the Asian Cup and obviously the aftermath of the Asian Cup has been the focus for a lot of people and rightly so. But now we're kind of back up to speed with what is going on in the Dob. As we said, next week the four of us the full complement will be back to take you through things as we usually do with your love to see it, with your boots, with your how goods and all of the rest of it. So thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Apple and Google. Leave a review, subscribe. If you want to keep up to date with some dub stuff, Angela is writing weekly pieces for Keep Up. So check them out. I am writing weekly things the raw so there is lots of written stuff there sam obviously does her abc pieces anna pops up with her dub pieces as well so there's lots of written content for you to enjoy in addition to listening to us if you want to have a chat we are at the far post pod on all social media but not reddit as we spoke about last time um but yeah until next week see us I didn't understand what Reddit was. It was a whole situation. (laughs) Bye, guys.